0: Uh, Lord, those words are so true that uh, we are not enough unless you come, and so meet us here again. Meet each of us, uh, we're place of our deepest need, and teach us, Lord, how to, how to listen to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever had a day like this? Um, You wake up a little late, maybe your alarm didn't go off, you slept through it, hit snooze, I don't know. But you go going just a little bit late, and you show up to that first appointment five minutes late. Sorry I'm late, didn't mean to be, sorry about that. Appointment goes all right. You're leaving just in time to get to your next appointment, but then you get behind people driving who obviously have failed their driving test and should not be on the road. And so you get Larry, this a little bit later and your day just starts that way. And you're just running from thing to thing a little bit and just a little late, a little later, a little later. And then you get into work and you're sitting at your office and you're getting some stuff done, but not really as much as you'd like to. And then, you know, you get caught up and watching, looking on the internet, and you're following some news story about the election or about a, a puppy and a cat that like to cuddle together, or or whatever. But somehow, all of a sudden, you're looking at stuff that has nothing to do with what you're supposed to be doing, and you get through your day, and you don't eat lunch because you just don't have time for it. And then you get to the end of the day, and and you got some stuff done, but your to-do list grew, and it's longer than it was when uh, you got there in the morning. So you start to go home, and then your wife calls you and says, hey, can you pick up something from the market she forgot to get? You're like, oh, you reluctantly say, okay, honey. You're thinking in the back of your mind. You should have got it yourself, but I'll do it for you. <laughs> so you go, um, you go to the market, and uh, it takes you twice as long to find what it is because you think you know where it is, but you're not really sure. But as you find out, you've walked by it twice because you just didn't see it on the shelf. You get the stuff from the market, and then you get to the checkout. And you have a choice to make, right? Which line is going to be quickest? <laughs> and you go, I think it's this one. It's shorter. The people don't have as much stuff in there. So you get in that line. And then you realize that you've gotten in the line where the checker thinks she's like a talk show host or something. <laughs> and she's talking to everybody that's coming through and very slowly doing the things and all that stuff and talking, all this. stuff. But you get your stuff, you get home, you get home. And all you feel like doing. All you want to do, you just lay on the couch and turn on Friends or the office or something like that and just start watching. And if you had a beer in your house, you'd uh, pop the top and just drink that and watch and waiting for some sporting event to come on that you can watch. And then you'd forgotten that your wife told you that she was going out to dinner with some friends from church, I mean from work, and, um, and that you're on your own for dinner And so instead of, like, cooking something healthy and grabbing some stuff, you throw some corn dogs and tater tots in the oven, (laughs) heat them up, 23 minutes later, they're done, pull them out, throw some barbecue sauce on them, and eat it. And spend the rest of the night just kind of vegging out, watching whatever's on TV. And then you get to the end of your day, end of the night, you're tired, a little worn out, you go to bed, sleep all right wake up the next morning, and do it all again. You ever have days like that? Yeah, me neither. I don't either. Um, No, we all do. To some extent, we're all rushing through our days. We're in a hurry, oftentimes. And and what happens is that this is a a cycle of this hurry and fatigue, and we are set up by our culture to fail. We're set up to fail because this is how we've been told, this is what your life is supposed to look like. A physical hurry and emotional internal hurry and fatigue. And it's what we are experiencing. And even when I may not physically be in a hurry, but because of the technology that we have today, because of things like the internet and smartphones, our minds are in a hurry. The technology weakens our ability to Concentrate and to think clearly, and we are addicted to it. I was reading a, a book recently that said that the average iPhone user touches their phone two thousand six hundred and seventeen times a day. It's just there. It's just there. You know, if you're meet, waiting for somebody, you're not just going to sit there and wait. You're going to take your phone, see what's happening in the news, see what's going on we are addicted to it and that is actually what the Silicon valley wants to do they want to distract us and addict us because it means money for them every swipe every touch everything is just more money for them and so everything they create is to distract and addict and it causes us to hurry We've bought into the lie that the abundant life is about filling your life with as many experiences and things and stuff as we can rush around to the detriment of our soul. And I've mentioned this before, but I again read it this week. But in the 19, I think it was 1968, there was a congregational um, a meeting, what did they call it? But uh, that said that, a congregational report that said that by 1985, the average American worker would only work 22 hours a week. And that the big question in this report was, what are Americans going to do with all of their leisure time? Because of all the technology we had. But what has happened is we have filled that with more and more stuff, and taken that time has gone away to where, and this is crazy, but in the last 40 years, the American worker actually works four weeks more than they did 40 years ago. The average American worker works four weeks more today than 40 years ago. And instead of resting to restore our soul, we are merely distracting ourselves through entertainment. There's a pastor up in Portland named John Mark Comer. He's written a book that I'm reading. And he uh, really wanted to take his church to a different level. He was a part of a mega church, and he was just worn out, tired. He was burned out. He was in a hurry. And so he said, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to figure out how to take my church to a place where he actually resigned from his megachurch and took a part of their multi campus, a smaller one. How can I develop deeper discipleship in the people of my church? How can I draw them to a place where they really know Jesus well? And this is what he wanted to do. And he was explaining his plan to his therapist. Because pastors need therapists, okay? <laughs> Just telling you from time to time. We all need a therapist. And he was talking to his therapist about it. And his therapist said this to him. The number one problem you will face is time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. Man, I hope that's not true. But I suspect, though, you might feel that. You might feel and look at your life and go, you know what, I am too busy. I want to be emotionally healthy. I so want to be spiritually rich and have a vibrant life. But I look at my life and the way I work and I move from one thing to the next and I've got all this going on at home and I've got the kids to take care of and all these things and I don't know how to do it. Don't know how to do it. And our problem is in our culture is that we think being busy is the same as having a rich and vibrant life. And that's just not the truth. Just not the truth. Because here's what hurry does to your soul. Hurry affects your soul. And the first thing it does is this. It causes you either to live in the past or to project into the future and you're never actually in the present. When we rush from thing to thing, when we add uh, activity after activity, trip after trip, whatever it might be, we're constantly either looking back and oftentimes feeling guilty or we're looking ahead and feeling anxious. And we never actually are able to live in the present. And it's such an important part of having a vibrant uh, spiritual life is to be able to actually be present where you are. If you're meeting with somebody, if you're talking to your wife, if you're talking to your kids, if you're meeting with a friend, to actually be there with them. And not to be thinking what happened in the past or what is coming up in the future, but to actually be there. It's really hard to actually probably be here, here. You might be even thinking about what happened in the morning. You may be thinking about where you're going to brunch afterwards. But to actually be present in a moment is so hard because we live lives of hurry. The second thing I would say that this does to your soul is that it makes it really difficult to pray because prayer takes presence. And again, if we're moving so quickly that we don't have time to slow down, if we don't have time to actually think, to actually be in the presence of God and to listen for his prompting is almost impossible. And so our prayer life suffers when we rush and we hurry. That's part of why tonight is so important for us. If I can just say, tonight's meeting is very important. Brave the terrible weather that's coming or whatever it is and get back here tonight that we can be present with our Lord, focus on Him and pray. Because our lives of hurry distract us from being people of prayer. And then the third thing I'd say that this can do to your soul when we live lives of hurry is that it isolates you from others. That you're never really actually able to build deep relationships. And we just rush from person to person, thing to thing, but we never actually develop the depth of relationship that is so important. Uh, years ago, I think, gosh, it's probably 30 years ago now, my dad was elected as an elder at his church. And they did a little, um, did a little interview with all the new elders and they put him in this newsletter. And I got the newsletter and I read this and I thought, well, wow, my dad, this is a cool thing. But they'd asked him something right at the end. And here's what my dad said this about himself. He said, I enjoy things that take time classical music, wood carving, and relationships. And and my dad does. He loves classical music. I've I've brought some of his wood carvings here to church to show you what he does. It all takes time, and relationships take time. And if we're constantly living in a life of hurry, we're constantly moving from one thing to the next, we don't actually have time to develop relationships that matter. Love, joy, and peace... Are impossible when we are in a state of hurry. Now we can have busy lives. We'll talk about that a little bit, maybe. But but hurry is something that grabs your soul, to where you're never actually able to be present to pray or to develop depth in relationships. A lot of this we've I've shared this before too, in terms of how this what this does for your soul is. Uh, uh, John Ortberg, who uh, is, was a pastor at Willow Creek, he's now up at Menlo Park Prez. When he was at Willow Creek, he actually was pastor of Horizons Church before he went to Willow Creek, um, and really a busy mega church, lots going on, lots of things he's having to do. His, he felt his soul was starting to slip away. He called his mentor, Dallas Willard, back here in California, and explained what was going on and asked Dallas, what do I do to have, keep my soul in a good place? And the, the way the story goes is that there was a, a, a long pause on the other end, because Dallas always paused for a long time. And, th- and Dallas just said to him this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Ortberg says he wrote that down, took notes, that's great. What else? What, el- what else is there? Another long pause. That's it you must just ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So to help us think about what that might look like, I want to look at the tale of two sisters and this encounters that Jesus has on the way to the cross. And it's from Luke chapter 10. And here's um, how it goes. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So this village is probably, it's Bethany, it's outside of Jerusalem. This is Mary and Martha and Lazarus is their brother um, Lazarus isn't mentioned in, in this story. And, and Mary and Martha start the preparations together. And you can only imagine I mean, again, just try to imagine what is Jesus is coming to our house. I mean, this is one of the most exciting things that could ever happen to anybody. Jesus is coming to our house, and we've got to get ready. And again, I mean, it's a little bit of pressure, probably. I mean, this is, what are we going to serve, right? This is the guy that can turn water into wine. He's the one that feeds 5,000 with just a couple of fish and some bread. But what are we going to do? So they start preparing. But then Mary stops and goes and sits at the feet of Jesus to listen to his teaching, which is a, which is a really brave and courageous move for a woman of her time. A rabbi sit, typically would sit and teach others. And they would sit below them. And the wording is such as that Mary is right there next to Jesus. She's gotten almost as close as she can to him. And she's sitting there listening. And then Martha, though, is in another room, seemingly. And again, is just getting angry and angrier and angrier that she's doing all this work. And and the words that are used is that, that Martha is distracted all right, that's another word for being hurried. It's another word for not being present. That in her mind, all this stuff is going on. And it says oh, that she's distracted by all the preparations. And again, the wording that's used there is there's a sense that Martha is just going over the top to try and create this beautiful thing for Jesus. And I mean, in our culture, right, we've, we've fallen into this trap, right, with things like Pinterest, um, HGTV, Right, I mean I go to the gym and work out, ride the bike, the HGTV thing is playing and I feel like, man, my house is a dump, oh my gosh. I've got, There's so much I should be doing at my house. Right, Just, I feel terrible about where I live after watching these shows, but, that's, we, but we live in that and we feel like we have to measure up to these standards that are out there. We can be distracted by all the preparations. And what has happened is a situation that should bring great joy to Martha has become a burden. Imagine Jesus is in your house and she's distracted and she's burdened and it kind of just boils over finally to where she goes to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all this work by myself and Mary's not doing anything? And then... Jesus answers this way. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not be taken away from her. Can you picture that? Jesus just looking at Martha, who's all bent out of shape and all flustered, and just says, Martha, Martha. Martha I mean anytime something is uh, duplicated it, it's important what this thing for me I think it does is it, it actually diffuses the anger that she might be feeling I think we're going to try something here I want you to imagine the Lord is speaking to you about whatever might be on your, in your life Whatever it is that's causing some internal turmoil, whatever is in your mind that just keeps coming back, that you just are like, no, I don't need to deal with that right now. And I just want you to imagine you are with your Lord Jesus. And he says your name twice. Dawn. Dawn. Okay, let's try this all together. I want you to say, don't say my name. <laughs> Say, say your name. And just imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus say those words to you right now, wherever you might be. Ready? Here we go. Dawn, Dawn, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. And indeed, only one, and Mary has chosen what is better. You see, Martha is worried and upset. The word means that she's divided or distracted. Uh, There's an inner turmoil which has resulted in her lashing out. But Jesus says really only one thing is needed. And and in fact, what that is, is to be at the feet of Jesus. Jesus really, he, um, he delights in those moments when people are at his feet. You might remember in Mark chapter 3, there's a time where Jesus is teaching in a, in, a, in a house and it's really crowded and his mother and his brothers come and they can't get into the house and the word gets to Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're looking for you. And, and, and Jesus, it says that he, um, he, uh, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my brother and my mother whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother, that he delights when people sit at his feet. So what does it mean for you and I to, to kind of sit at the feet of Jesus? Um, it's, the, it's the position of what it means to actually be a disciple. To actually be one who wants to follow after Jesus is to sit at his feet. And here again, kind of three things I think you're doing when you sit at the feet of Jesus and how we might do that. We can't physically sit at the feet of Jesus. So how do we do that um, today? It means that you are, you're listening and learning from Jesus. That, you, that you're reading his scripture and you're learning about what it means. That's what, that's what a rabbi did. It ta- they taught about um, who God was. That's what Jesus was doing, was ta- teaching about his father and teaching how do you relate to this God and how do you live life that makes a difference and you're really learning so you you read scripture and you pray and you ask Lord I'm listening help me to learn to know you and to love you to follow you and, and live this life the second thing you do when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus is that you are watching and becoming that a disciple would sit there and not only listen and learn but you'd watch how they live their life And so often in Jesus' days, much of what happened were interruptions. He'd be teaching and all of a sudden they'd drop some guy in through the roof, right? And his disciples would be there seeing but they'd see him, how he responds. They'd learn and become, want to become how he is and learn how to respond and live life as Jesus did. And then the final thing is when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus is that you are resting and you're renewing your life. So for us, it just means that we get to a point where we realize that we're sitting at the feet of Jesus and we're learning from him and we're trying to become like him and we're allowing him to fill us so that we are rested and renewed. There's a really intriguing invitation in Matthew 11 and this is really well known, too well known, I'm afraid, sometimes. But here's what Jesus says to each one of us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? And it was an invitation given to people who had been striving and trying to live life under the law trying to do everything they thought God wanted them to do, everything they thought their religious leaders wanted them to do, and they were worn out by it. And Jesus just looked at them and said, look, just come to me. And, and that idea of a yoke is that it's a, this wooden frame that held two animals together and it was used in farming and for pulling of heavy loads. And the imagery is that you are, you are connected. You are um, subject to another person. The rabbis would talk about the yoke that they would have is how they would explain the Torah. And so Jesus is saying, look, yoke yourself to me and I will show you how to live this life. Follow me and I will show you how to live this life. Uh, John Mark Comer in his book says that this is what it means. It says Jesus' invitation to take up his yoke is to travel through life at his side, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life with ease, to step out of the burnout society to a life of rest. You see, oftentimes we always talk about, well, I just want to become like Jesus. I want want to love people as he did. I, I want to even love my enemies. I want to forgive as he forgave. I want to have compassion maybe even like Jesus did. But the truth of the matter is this, that we cannot take on the life of Jesus unless we take on the lifestyle of Jesus. Until we learn how to do the things he did, we will not be as he is. So until we learn about what it means to kind of develop what a, a, a Sabbath heart and take on the actual qualities of taking on a sabbath, of living simply, of having times of silence and solitude, all those things that Jesus did that helped him to be who he was. It only happens that way. Read another book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan and here's what he talks about in terms of what it means to have a sabbath heart. He says maybe that's what God requires most of us is our attention. Indeed, this is the essence of a Sabbath heart, paying attention. It is being fully present, wholly awake in each moment. Being present to God. That's, again, what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus, is I am present to what Jesus wants to teach me. I'm present to what he wants to show me. I'm present so he can fill me and help me to rest. So I'll end with this story um, So at the height of the British colonization, uh, an English traveler landed in Africa and he was intent on a rapid journey into the jungle and he he, um, charters some local porters to carry his supplies for him. And after an exhausting day of travel and all on foot and a fitful night's sleep, he gets up to continue his journey, but the porters refuse to move. Exasperated, he begins to cajole and bribe and plead, but nothing works. They will not move an inch. And naturally, asked them why. And the porter's answer is this. They are waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. Are you waiting for your soul to catch up with your body? Can you even slow down enough so that can happen? We go, go, go. We hurry, hurry, hurry. And until we find time to sit at the feet of Jesus and allow our souls to catch up to where our bodies are, we'll never be able to live the type of life that Jesus wants us to live. There's a question that's in a lot of the commentaries because Jesus said that Mary chose what was better. The question then, what is best? And a lot of people said this, is that what is best is allowing our work to be an overflow of a soul which is filled through time with Jesus. That we would have the effort of Martha, but be empowered by the soul of Mary. That in the church and in ministries and in your work where you are, that you would be able to have your work would be an, an overflow of what God has done in your life as you sat at the feet of Jesus. So the only way to really experience the rest of God and to live a meaningful, soul-rich life is to adjust the way we live. To really take on the yoke of Jesus. To practice a Sabbath. And I'd love to talk more about that in the coming weeks. To actually practice silence and solitude. To practice simplicity in our lives. Again, I'd love to talk about that. Chances are that you are already addicted to your phone and the internet and being entertained. That you live emotionally hurried lives, spiritually hurried lives. And so my encouragement for you is this. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Allow your soul to catch up And ask Jesus, how do you want me to live my life? How do you actually want me to live my life so it is full but not hurried? How do you want me to live my life so I'm actually loving other people and developing deep relationships with people? Lord, help me to change the way I live. Help me to sit at your feet. And chances are when we do that, stuff will come up and you know, we'll have to repent of it. We'll have to just uh, say, "The Lord, I am so sorry that I've lived my life this way. And, and that's why as we move into a time of communion, it can be really valuable for us. For communion is a place that we realize, as we've sung earlier, that it really is all about God's grace. That it's only through God's grace that we can really live the type of life that Jesus wants us to live. And we confess, Lord, I have not lived my life as you would want me to live. And we ask Him and we say, Lord, help me to live the life you want me to live. Help me to truly sit at your feet. So um, I'm going to invite the elders who are going to help serve communion to come up and um, We'll have three stations. I've done something a little different because I've realized how important communion is for everybody. And I have gluten-free bread. So I, there's, there's one. I think Mark will have that one, and he'll be in the center. And if, you, if that is something that you would... Because I don't want anyone to not be able to take communion. And... Um, to prepare our time, I want us to say a prayer of confession together, and then we'll move into it. So let's put that prayer up there. Um, let's say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Too often we love our Love, ourselves. love, ourselves. love us. Too often we turn away from pain and injustice instead of rebuking the powers of this world as you gave us the authority to do. Next one. <laughs> we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. In the power of Jesus' name, root out and bind all evil, sin, and death both in our own lives and in our common, connected body. Forgive us, restore us the joy of our salvation. Renew in us a right spirit that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. So Lord, as on that night that you're betrayed and you broke the bread and gave it to your disciples, we come again as your disciples. And I pray, Lord, that we would be present in this moment. That as we take the bread and as we put it in the juice and as we eat it, we will be fully reminded of your grace, of what you call us to be and to do, and help us, Lord. Help us to sit at your feet even now. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray.